The night was dark, the seas were off the port, lay straight ahead. The booze ran out, the men grew tired, and this is what they said. Captain, if you cannot find a place to set her down, then you'll be sleeping right along this vessel in the ground. Good morning, and welcome to episode 389 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by Baseball References Play Index. Today, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates as we continue our tour through the league. Um, in about 20 minutes or so, Nick will be talking to Travis Sochik of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Um, but we have with us Michael Clare, a fellow I like a lot the proprietor of Old Time Family Baseball, uh, as well as a writer uh, in various points on the internet, and the uh, author of the essay about the Pirates in this year's annual. Michael, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. Ben Ben is here. Ben, how are you? <laughs> Pretty good. I don't know if I'd go very good, but I'm all right. I'm here. Excellent. So, um, so Michael, I... Uh, uh, before well, let's just go back. Before the 2013 season, everybody on the Pirates front office was generally considered to be uh, on the wobbly chair. When uh, the owner Bob Nutting brought back uh, the front office, the GM, as well as uh, you know pretty much everybody under the GM, there was some hand wringing in uh, Pittsburgh over his commitment to this group that had not won anything and that had you know, had some some, some somewhat embarrassing stories written uh, about the way that they were, you know, for instance, developing prospects, et cetera. And um, so it was not yet uh, accepted that this was like a genius group of genius people who were going to lead Pittsburgh uh, into the playoffs. Um, do you think that, um, well, uh, have they completely rehabilitated their image? Was last year convincing? Uh, and do you feel like... Um, we were all wrong about them, or I shouldn't say we were, but that the general public was all wrong about them, and Bob Nutting was totally right. Well, that that's funny, considering that, yeah, basically going into the offseason, it seemed like Neil Huntington and his staff was going to be above reproach. They'd brought this magical season. The team was, you know, one very easy uh, win away from the championship series. And then this offseason, uh, it seems like Neil Huntington can't do a single thing right. Uh, I mean, for for people who've been following the Pirates and following them closely, I think they realized that Huntington was moving the team in the right direction. The farm system, which under Dave Littlefield was pretty dry uh, and really depressing, was humming. And then uh, Huntington had acquired Wandy Rodriguez at the at the trade deadline. It was like, well, here's a player who can actually help the team the next year too. Uh, and so, yeah, it looked like. Neil Huntington was a genius and one of the best GMs and everybody had missed it. And then this off season, we've seen the Pirates sign Edinson Volquez, uh, the exciting Edison Volquez who hasn't had a average year since I think 2008. Uh, and that's it. And the narrative is kind of shifting back a little bit and the team's going to have to play well this year. Or I think a lot of people are going to be very upset with him. What what uh, it, it doesn't seem, though, that like they've even been in on anybody. It doesn't it doesn't feel like like Huntington has you know, just been unable to execute some great plan. It's just been like they're the pirates. Right. They don't they don't sign people when when they sign anybody. It's usually a surprise and it's usually small. So should we have expected anything else from them? 
Well, rumor is, word was, that the Pirates were in on Josh Johnson, and he decided he'd rather pitch in San Diego. And the Pirates, you know, possibly offered James Loney more money than the Rays, and he decided he wanted to play for the Rays. And then, you know, it, after bungling A.J. Burnett, he offered 11 or $12 million to Burnett. Reports are vague there, and Burnett said, no, I'd rather earn $16 million and play for the Phillies. So it seems like Huntington thought that the Pirates might have been a better draw. Uh, everybody loves those pierogies and sandwiches with coleslaw and french fries. And I guess he uh, overplayed his hand and, and nobody nobody wanted to come. Are the french fries on the sandwich? Oh, yeah. French fries on the sandwich with coleslaw. It's not a creamy coleslaw with mayo. It's a coleslaw with, uh, with like vinegar and pepper. Hmm. Is it good? Oh, it's great. But it seems like that might it seems like that might make the sandwich better, but it seems like it would make the fries considerably worse. Well, see, as long as you get to it quickly, it hurts the sandwich consistency if you let it sit for a while. But if you can get to it quickly, it just it all kind of comes together. It's on soft Italian bread, so really, uh, the fries help the bread play up. The bread's maybe like a forty-five bread. The fries yeah. make that play more like a sixty bread. But what's the side then? You don't have a side anymore. You double up the fries, I guess. Do you? Uh, the fries fall off the sandwich, then they turn into the side. They've got to be pretty soggy. <laughs> They've got to be pretty soggy at that point, though. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a soggy French fry. Are you telling me you don't like a soggy French fry? I, I do not like a soggy French fry. <laughs> well, at least it's a well-balanced meal. Yeah, Any yeah. questions, Ben, or are we going to wrap this up? <laughs> I'm about done. Uh, so, it, so it sounds like, from what you're saying, it sounds like uh, you think that Pirates fans would like to make the playoffs again so soon after the... I mean, that seems a little greedy, don't you think? Just, I mean... Yeah, I, I absolutely. I don't think they understand that for the playoffs to really mean something, you gotta you gotta miss it for for twenty years. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the bad years that make the good years you know so so good. So if the Pirates keep winning, it's just gonna it's gonna be meaningless, and and who cares about that? It's not gonna be a story anymore. I think <laughs> Neil Huntington cares about story. I think that's what we're finding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there is there a a part of the roster where you feel like the Pirates really should have spent or where there's a what's the the strongest argument that they should have poured money into some part of the payroll well the the problem is first base uh you've got Gabby Sanchez who uh is is going to get half the platoon but they're they're missing a left-handed bat uh, but at the same time, it's like, where do you want that money spent? Kendrys Morales can't play the position. He's going to cost them a draft pick. Uh, right now they've got, uh, Andrew Lambeau, Chris McGinnis, and Travis Ishikawa competing. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, God, that's going to be so exciting. It's going to be the lead story on ESPN every morning. Uh, who's, who's pulling ahead there? But <laughs> I like Lambeau. Hey, I like Lambeau. <laughs> I, I like Lambeau, too, but the, the problem with Lambeau is he strikes out so much, and he's old for his level. He's the type of player that, like, three or four years ago I would go crazy for. I'd be buying Andrew Lambeau jerseys. Uh, but when he's striking out in double and triple A at the rate that Pedro Alvarez was in the majors last year, it's a little concerning that he's going to be able to handle even just half of a platoon. This, mm -hmm. this competition needs more Brad Eldred, if you ask me. 
Oh, big country. We could talk about Brad Eldred for days. <laughs> Google alerts on Brad Eldred. Speaking of people with French fries in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were actually not speaking of people. We were speaking of sandwiches with French fries. I, I would say I botched that one. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to give that one to you. That, that was a big, big man who I'm sure enjoyed a good sandwich with French fries right on it. <laughs> Uh, can you take us through the A.J. Burnett saga? Yeah, uh, this is, it's it's real fun. It's a good story to, to tell your children. Uh, so at the end of the year, uh, before, ga- so you got you got to go back to the NLCS. Before game five, uh, Burnett is told that he's not going to start, that's going to go to Garrett Cole. He has a meltdown, uh, which is not shocking. I mean, if you see A.J. Burnett on the mound, he's, you know, a ground ball gets through the hole. He's immediately barking at the shortstop saying he's in the wrong position. He doesn't know what he's doing. There's the great gif of Burnett throwing the rosin bag down and smashing it in his hand. He's so angry. Uh, So that started the offseason off on a weird foot. And then it looked like Burnett was either going to retire or come back to the Pirates. And that's what he kind of said to the media. That's what we were all assuming was going to happen. And so Neil Huntington did not offer him a qualifying offer for $14.1 million, either because the Pirates couldn't pay that much, which Huntington basically said, we can't pay A.J. Burnett market rate, which is you know a great way to hire people, is tell them we can't pay you what you're worth. Uh, or because out of some politeness he didn't want to limit Burnett's options or make him feel guilty I I don't know what the reason for that was uh it was a it was a poor decision and then the rumor was that Burnett was being offered something around eight million which is what they were offering Josh Johnson and Burnett is a much better pitcher than Josh Johnson so Burnett either hurt by the Pirates or just because this was his plan all along said he would pitch for other teams than the Pirates uh, but they had to be close to his home. The Orioles were in on him, and then the Phillies swooped in, and $16 million later, they they grabbed him, and uh, that was 4 or $5 million more than the Pirates were offering him. So I, uh, Sam and I spoke about their decision not to offer him the qualifying offer, and I wrote about it a bit, and then uh, Travis Sochik, who Nick is going to talk to in a little bit, asked Neil Huntington about it, and he, he said, from a value standpoint... Uh, which is the standpoint that we are usually using when we talk about things in baseball. You can argue that 14 million should have been a no-brainer, and we understand that. Uh, and then he basically said, "But uh, a qualifying offer, if accepted, becomes a large chunk of payroll." So it, at that point, he's basically saying, "Yeah, it, it would have been a good idea to do that, but that's still a lot of money." Uh, so are the are the Pirates a team that that can make that argument that uh, that they just can't sign someone who's going to make 14 15 million dollars a year even if financially it would seem to make some sort of sense just because they literally cannot afford that kind of bill yeah so that's what's so frustrating about it all is uh the pirates have had these low payrolls in the past with the expectation that they'd be able to spend the money when they were ready to compete and with the league-wide tv deal kicking in which is anywhere from five to ten million or 20 to 25 and then the postseason run and the sold out dates and then frank Coonley, uh the team president even saying that what's been reported as the pirates individual team deal being lower than what it actually is with the pirates closer to the middle of the pack it seems like they do have more money than they're spending and if the pirates are able to spend 11 or 12 million on burnett at the end of the offseason 
it seems like it would have been a smarter idea not to pay $5 million to Edison Volquez and give Burnett $14.1 million and give him a qualifying offer. Um, do, do you think that we should assume that the Pirates actually have money? That it, I, the, the weird thing about being the Pirates is if your margins are so small that you can't afford to give an extra $3 million to the you know, to A.J. Burnett to keep him, then presumably, like, it's kind of weird for them to go into the season with $10 million left over, but should we assume that they had that $10 million sitting there for Burnett and now it's just going to go unused? Yeah, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, part of me honestly thinks that Huntington just didn't want Burnett back, that whatever he saw at the end of the year when he kind of seemed to tire down the stretch and his bad postseason start, it seemed like Huntington just constantly wanted to undercut Burnett Burnett, and uh, that, you know, eight million was the highest he wanted to go. If if the Pirates were to spend money, I mean, if, if you look at the players who are signing, who are left, it's not like I want them to just go out and sign anybody. If, if there wasn't a compensation pick tied up with Kendrys Morales, that would be a, a great signing. But yeah, for a team that doesn't have any money, uh, who probably doesn't have a cable package in the clubhouse, they probably just have Netflix and Hulu Plus for the players, because uh, they got to cut back somewhere. Like, I, I, the Pirates pay money. That's something I, I'll never understand. Um, so I wanted to ask you about um, the Volquez signing, because, you know, Ray Searage uh, is going to be, you know, remembered for a few years for. Uh, what you know what he did with Francisco Liriano and so when Volquez uh, signed uh, Liriano's name came up a lot as like another guy who's been inconsistent um, you know good stuff um, and you know frustrating stuff frustrating control to go with that stuff and I just wanted to know do you think that it's there's any logical reason to put those two guys names together is there a reason to think that because Searage was so successful with Liriano that um, that Volquez fits into a sort of type of pitcher that he's going to be um, successful with? Or is that just um, really trying too hard to kind of create a simple narrative? I, I think that's I think it's trying too hard to create a simple narrative. I mean, the Pirates have had some success you know, rehabilitating pitchers, uh, Liriano, Charlie Morton. But at the same time, they signed Jonathan Sanchez last year, and he completely imploded. So it's not like the Pirates are sort of the the Braves of the 90s, but for terrible free agent pitchers. They got lucky, I think. I think coaches can help certain players. Uh, people bring up Volquez and Liriano because they're both good about seven years ago and they both have control problems but beyond that i don't see a ton of similarities i mean volquez still strikes out guys but he walks everybody and nobody wanted to keep him on their roster last year which you know liriano nobody was uh you know completely dropping him and, and just leaving him in on the waiver wire forever uh one big thing for liriano then we just say it with, with hindsight was that uh, he broke his arm on Christmas and had to stay in extended spring training. And that gave Jim Benedict a uh, special assistant, basically another pitching guru um, extra month in extended spring training, just to build up arm strength to tinker with the delivery. And they're not going to have that luxury with Volquez, uh, whether or not that would do anything. I, I really doubt. I mean, Liriano was good in 2010 and he was good in 2013. The last time Volquez was good was 
2008, and really he was good for the first half of the season. Are you suggesting they might break his arm, Volquez's arm? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if, if you're going to try and, you know, duplicate the same thing in a laboratory setting, you have no choice but to break his arm. They missed it on Christmas. It was supposed to be in front of his children, uh, <laughs> mafia style. That didn't happen, but, the, you know, it's, it's still early in the spring. <laughs> Um, so, uh, even with that, Burnett Huntington says that he likes his starting pitching depth. Uh, do you like his starting pitching depth? I, I do, actually. I, I do think there are concerns, and I, I do think Burnett would, would be a, a big addition. But uh, if Wandy Rodriguez is healthy, which a 35-year-old command and control lefty uh, coming off of bizarre forearm injuries that no one could diagnose all year is not the most... Uh, reassuring thing but uh if he is healthy and he says he is then he's a solid pitcher you've got garrett cole you've got jamison tyon you've got brandon compton uh if you're not excited about brandon compton as uh your number five starter <laughs> i mean what are you getting excited about uh i i mean th- there's there's some depth there but but there's a lot of questions and every team goes through dozens of starting pitchers every year and uh the pirates look to have a number of guys that slot in as back of the rotation options but a couple injuries a couple guys are ineffective then uh that dries up really quickly and and we've seen that from other teams in past years so huntington has a a couple of lines about the lack of spending that i like uh he has one payroll does not equal playoff which is pretty good. It's it's kind of like a, an ad campaign slogan. Uh, he also has spending is not winning. Um, so it sounds like he has possibly read Sam's piece about the lack of correlation between spending and winning in recent seasons. If he is, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that's where <laughs> where that came from. If the if the non-spending is a a mandate from above, he is certainly doing a fine job of of selling it as as what he would prefer to do. Uh, so good job by him if that's the case. Um, so the uh, farm system is is a strong point. Uh, according to Jason Parks's latest preliminary organizational rankings, which will be out in final form next week at BP, the Pirates rank third. Um, what should Pirates fans be looking forward to as far as 2014 goes uh, when it comes to help from within? Uh, so, uh, just talking about starting pitching depth, you've got Jamison Tyon coming up and a lot of people are like, are, are thinking, uh, Tyon's going to come up and be Garrett Cole and immediately step in and be great. He is not that good of a pitcher. It's, it's possible he will become close to something that, that, that Cole is, uh, his command just isn't there. Uh, and if he can fix that and, do that early in the season, he can come up and be a big boost to the rotation. And then the other big name everyone's waiting for is Gregory Polanco in right field. And it's why the pirates are trotting out the corpse of Travis Snyder and two hot months from Jose Tabata in right. They're just placeholders until Polanco misses the super two cutoff point and they can call him up and have a third center fielder in their outfield. Uh, those are, you know, obviously the, the two biggest names, uh, as I said earlier, Brandon Compton as the number five <laughs> starter. Get ready for that. Uh, 
I mean, the, the, the pirates are strong uh, in the farm system and, and they're deep. And I guess that's why Huntington can get away uh, with talking about uh, not spending as if this is some frugal choice and, and lifestyle decision that he's decided to, to live. And he, he wants to <laughs> lead like a, a, a minimalist pirates team. And, and if he is, that's, that's really cool and, and, more, and more power to him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, those are the two big names that basically the, the pirate season seems to be hinging on is them coming up and, filling in gaps in the lineup and the rotation and, and helping them weather whatever injuries do pop up. How pleasantly surprised have you been? Or I, I, that's a leading question. How, <laughs> how have you, how have you, uh, how felt... pleasant has your surprise been? <laughs> yes. Been. Sorry. How pleasant has your surprise been about the <laughs> Clint Hurdle experience? Uh, I mean, Clint, uh, yeah, that Clint Hurdle was not a manager I thought I was going to be a fan of, and early on it seemed like that was going to hold true, and he still loves the bunt, which actually I have to admit, uh, as much as I hate it from a strategy aspect, I am in love with the aesthetics of the bunt, uh, and I love Clint Hurdle running out with his purple face uh, to scream at umpires. But no, Clint Hurdle, I mean, what's really great is he seems to get along with the players. The players respect him. And when your job is managing personalities, that's kind of the most important. And then uh, Hurdle embracing the infield shifts last year. A lot of other so-called old school managers could have fought back and pushed back against the Pirates uh, stats department. But he embraced it. And that was a big reason that the rotation was so successful and the team was so successful. And it was hurdle an old school purple faced guy embracing something new. And, uh, when the team was doing well, going with it. And, uh, I don't think he's, you know, this amazing manager. I don't think we're going to be writing books about Clint hurdle, you know, 40 years from now, the way we do with like Casey Stengel, uh, but I think he's great for the team right now, and if that ever changes, the Pirates should change managers. But for now, just ride it out. So the pleasantness of my surprise has been quite surprisingly pleasant. <laughs> um, so uh, can you tell us what, what you expect out of some of the, the mid-20s parts of the, the lineup? Uh, your, your Starling Martes, your Jordy Mercers, your Jose Tabatas? Yeah. Well, uh, Jose Tavada, I, I think the we, we just have to admit he's a fine fourth or fifth outfielder. He doesn't steal bases. He doesn't play a particularly great outfield. He doesn't have much power. He has some contact skills that seem to come and go. Uh, if his hot August actually was indicative of something, that's great. I don't really put much stock in it. Jordy Mercer, I think, is a sign of just how hard it is to develop shortstops. His defense is perfectly average. His bat is perfectly average. And if he can be a perfectly average shortstop, that's great. Uh, and I hope he can be. I actually love the platoon of him and Clinton Barmas. Uh, they kind of make one very good shortstop if you can, you know, use them at, at the right time. And uh, Starling Marte. He's really exciting to watch. He's kind of got all those fun tools. Uh, he's got a problem with some plate discipline, strikes out a little too much, doesn't walk very much, but he's so athletic. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of Adam Jones in a lot of regards, probably not as good as Jones. But for a team like the Pirates, he really is, uh, I don't know, great in the top of the order just because he doesn't get on base that much. But 
uh, he makes good contact and he, and he can, you know, he, he's got a, a nice line drive swing. Mm. So uh, b- big fan of Marte. I think out of the three players you mentioned, Marte is probably going to have uh, the best year and best career out of them. Okay, uh, so a lot of people are probably surprised that we got to the Pirates podcast so early in this process. We were sort of surprised that we got to it this early in the process. Uh, Picota has a, I guess you could consider a somewhat pessimistic projection about the Pirates uh, for a 78-win season. So historically, we've seen teams that make a big leap from one year to the next tend to to fall back, to regress somewhat in the following season. Does this strike you as a team that will follow that trend? Do you think it's more resistant to that trend than other teams have been or or less? Uh, I, I think uh, I think Pakoda was definitely a little pessimistic, but but the Pirates are going to fall back. Last year, I think their uh, Pythagorean uh, was uh, 88 wins, and I think they'll definitely be closer to that. I mean, just so many things went right for them last year. Garrett Cole coming up and basically shoving it. Francisco Liriano in his second Comeback Player of the Year award. Andrew McCutcheon winning the MVP. Pedro Alvarez leading the league in home runs, despite when he's not hitting home runs, essentially looking lost at the plate, uh, almost like a like a, a young puppy trying to find its mother. Uh, I, I think just too many of those things broke right last year that just aren't going to break right this year. So I, I do think we'll see them step back. I don't think they're going to step back as far as Pakoda says. Uh, I mean, you know, cross fingers unless, uh, you know, Neil Huntington decides to cut the entire roster because his ideal is a $9 million team. <laughs> And the, the bullpen also was uh, something that would be hard to to repeat, probably. Are, are you saying you don't believe in Vin Mazzaro? Because, <laughs> Ben, if you don't believe in Vin Mazzaro, I don't really know why we're talking right now. I'm more of a Brandon Compton guy myself. All right, well, there we go. All right, so we've got that. Brandon Compton. <laughs> so uh, we we danced around a prediction there. Uh, let's let's go back to it. Give us Give us a win total, and if win- you if you care to... Uh, a, a finish in the standings. So uh, win total, uh, I'm basically going to side, I guess, with Vegas on this one. I'm saying 86 wins. Mm. I'm saying second place, but not uh, a wild card. Mm. Okay. And how many how many years will Pirates fans have to wait for the next Pirates playoff team? I mean, to make it worth it, I think we got to go 30, 35, uh, maybe 40. I mean, I hope I'm dead before I see the next team. Uh, I think, honestly, though, uh, t- if not this year, I, I think next year. Uh, I think there, there's just so much in the farm system, and, and there's a nice, strong core right now. Uh, that as long as if, – if Neil Huntington can show that he can acquire major league – quality players which has been spotty for him then yeah I, I i say 2015 they'll be back all right uh well thank you for joining us absolutely thank you guys and everyone you can follow michael claire on twitter at claire bear attack you can read his writing at oldtimefamilybaseball.com and many other places mlb daily dish and platoon advantage uh and also the baseball prospectus annual so Uh, We encourage you to go and support our sponsor at BaseballReference.com, sign up for the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get a $6 discount. Uh, Please send us emails for our email show at the end of the week, podcast at BaseballPerspectus.com. 
And now we will step aside and Nick Wheatley-Scheller will talk to Travis Sachik from the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Scheller and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Travis Sawchik of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. How's it going, Travis? Oh, well, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so the biggest recent news for Pittsburgh came when they failed to re-sign A.J. Burnett, losing him to the Philadelphia Phillies. The Pirates were under the impression that he would either re-sign or retire. Uh, when, they d- did, when did they realize that this wasn't the case, and did they make any attempt to change his mind? Yeah, uh, you stated right after the season, Burnett had publicly said at that point in time his choices were between retirement or coming back for the Pirates. And uh, the Pirates, you know, they said they weren't naive. They they believed that he could potentially pitch somewhere else, especially if they didn't put the qualifying offer on him. But, uh, uh, you know, they were hoping for a significant discount, that Burnett really wanted to stay in Pittsburgh, that he was comfortable there with uh, the pitching program, pitching coach, Ray Searage, and, uh, yeah, you know, a place where he got his career back on track. But you now it became apparent that uh, when Burnett made his decision to return in late January and pitch in 2014, that there are a number of suitors. I think it meant 15 teams to touch base with his agent. And, uh, you know, the Pirates weren't able to, were unwilling to match the Phillies offer. They did increase their offer to a one year $12 million bid, uh, I think, late in the process. But it looks like Burnett chose uh, not only uh, location close to his offseason home, but he just. The superior dollars. So Burnett ended up getting $16 million. Obviously, that figure may have been lower if he had um, had the uh, draft pick attached to him. Do you think that the Pirates would, if they could go back, have made the quali- qualifying offer to him? Yeah, speaking with Pirates GM Neil Huntington last week, you know, he said if he had a crystal ball and saw how this offseason was, was going to play out, perhaps it would have put that qualifying offer on Burnett. But Huntington also said that uh, you know, the team was uncomfortable committing X percentage of dollars to uh, to one player, especially a 37 year old pitcher, uh, when forecasting their their 2014 payroll. And you know, I think the qualifying offer, qualifying offer was going to be about 18 percent of the Pirates' projected wow. payroll. So yeah. they were a little uncomfortable with that number. Uh, and then they, you know, Bernard Huntington pointed out that most guys who clubs uh, assume will. Uh, not accept a quali- qualified offer, or players who are seeking multi-year deals who really, really think they can better the annual average value of that uh, qualifying offer deal, and that they weren't sure that Burnett uh, was was seeking a multi-year deal that would be offered a multi-year deal, and when they thought the the QO would suppress the value, they just they thought there's a chance to accept the, the qualifying offer also. Well, Burnett was a good ace last year, but Francisco Liriano made some a lot of news. Uh, had a great comeback year in 2013. He cut his walk rate below 10%, which is, has always been the key for him, and continued to bring strikeouts and ground balls. He, um, he didn't make a, any big league starts until May, which limited to 160 innings. Is he up for a full season at the top of the rotation this year? Yeah, Liriano was one of the great uh, bargain finds last season. They, uh, uh, he threw strike one at one of the, the highest rates of his career, which really set up the off-speed pitches that, that we know are really good. And uh, he threw his two-seamer more like most pitchers on the Pirates staff. So this helped his turnaround. And, uh, you know, the Pirates are counting on him to be a, another to be a top-of-the-rotation guy again. Although looking at the, the Pocota comps for him this year, they're, they're not encouraging. They include Jonathan Sanchez, Eric Bedard, and uh, 
I can't remember the third name, but you know, Luriano has not been a consistent presence, a consistent force over his career. We've seen flashes of brilliance and then some replacement level seasons. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the the program the Pirates have here with Searage and the the shifting can keep Luriano, uh, you know, consistent and competitive again, or if we're going to see significant regression. So that's really one of the keys going into 2014, especially with Burnett leaving, is they need Luriano to again be uh, a top-of-the-rotation presence, especially in the division where there's a lot of quality left-handed bats. A low-risk signing that they made, as you similar to the Liriano, but maybe not with the same upside, was when they signed Edison Volquez, who had a rough 2013 with the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, I've read that the coaching staff has plans to work on Volquez's mechanics. What are they looking to fix, and how good of a chance does he have of actually making the rotation? Yeah, you know, if they can iron out Volquez's mechanics, race search, print along the Hall of Fame, or at least he'd erect a statue on Federal Street or, or something like that, because he'd be... Uh, you know, the Pirates like to, to target these high upside, uh, kind of low price free agent starters. Like, sometimes they work out like Lariano, sometimes they, they don't pan out like Jonathan Sanchez last year. And Volquez, like Lariano, has, has just had trouble getting ahead of hitters in his career. His walk rate's often been I fours, five range. So, mm-hmm. again, the key with him is being in the strike zone, getting ahead of hitters where he can use it like a, a change if he has. And uh, if the Pirates, uh, you know, pitching coordinators, research can fix that, and uh, that would be a boon for them. And they, you know, they're hoping that he can be a, uh, I think, at least a back of rotation presence, and he'll be competing for the number five spot with Jeff Locke and some of the younger arms in spring training. And if Juan e. Rodriguez isn't healthy, then maybe they will need Volquez to be in the rotation, and uh, he won't be competing for a spot. The guy who will be up at the top of the rotation with Liriano is um, Garrett Cole. He made his debut in 2013. He had a 291 FIP over 117 innings. He averaged 96 miles an hour on his fastball, but wasn't able to get a lot of swings and misses on it. Um, luckily, he walked fewer guys than he really ever had in the minors, which was a great sign for the development of his command. Uh, how can he improve moving moving forward? Can he get more strikeouts? Can he use that fastball better? Yeah, there was... Uh, it was- there were two Garrett Coles last year, really. There was the, the Cole who came up was uh, he's throwing his fastball at I think about seventy five percent of his pitch offerings were wow. were forcing fastballs his first couple months after the call up, and he wasn't uh, you know he, he was efficient. He was throwing strikes. He was in the zone with the fastball, high velocity fastball, but he wasn't missing bats, which had been an issue at the minor league level too. Uh, but beginning in September, really, he started to mix in. Uh, started to get comfortable with the curveball, which offered some velocity separation for him. The swinging strike rate really went up, the mm-hmm. strikeouts went up, and he became a dominant pitcher after September 1. So uh, if you can extrapolate that across the whole season, you're looking at a, you know, an elite arm. And I think the Pirates are really counting on that. A lot of fancy league guys are counting on Cole to, to uh, have that performance in September on, carry over six months in the full season. And he's built for innings. He's got the velocity you mentioned, and uh, he obviously found that velocity separation with the curveball. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to believe that Cole could be a breakout performer in 2014. The good thing about that curveball was that it was equally effective against lefties and righties, which uh, made him a, a good starting pitcher. Yeah, his, his splits I don't think were, were too pronounced, and he does have a changeup. He does have a slider, too. Uh, the curveball became the focus because one of the I mean, one of his problems was that everything was so hard. 
slider was coming in at 90 miles an hour. His changeup was hard. So, uh, you know, that curveball really baffled left-handed and right-handed batters. Just getting that velocity separation, we also have to prepare for that the fastball, which uh, I think it was right there at the, the you know top of, uh, I don't know if he qualified in innings, but it was right there with, you know, the Salazars and the, the Harveys, the Strasburgs. It was the best velocity in the game from starter. Uh, this year, Jamison Talion replaced Garrett Cole on Baseball Prospectus' top, top Pittsburgh Pirates prospects list. Uh, he managed to work his way all the way up to Triple AAA last year, getting six starts there. What does he need to show this year in order to get a chance to get some starts at the big league level? Yeah, I think you know we are going to see Talion after June at some point when he uh, goes past the service time concerns. Uh, this is a guy who I think he's really close. He reached Triple A last year. He's got the three-pitch mix. One focus last year is they, they wanted him to throw 15 to 20 change-ups per game at double and triple A. They wanted him to, to get a comfort level at that pitch so he could you know not have the platoon splits. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that was a chief focus last year. We, we saw the stuff in the World Baseball Classic back last spring. He's got the, the great curveball. He's got the premium velocity. He's got uh, – he's built – you know, he looks like what you want a right-handed power prospect to look like. This guy, you know, he had the complete package, and uh, his prospect status has diminished a little bit because he was a top ten guy. Now he's lower teens, twenties by some rankings, but this is still a guy who could be a number two, top of the rotation kind of guy. Uh, still a big part of the plans, and I think we'll see him in June this year. I think he'll probably be on the uh, the Garrett Cole track to, uh, to get the call up in June, and hopefully be an impact. Pirates hope he'll, he'll be an impact guy in the second half. Sticking with prospects, but moving over to the position player side, the Pirates have a very exciting outfield with Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon, and Jose Tabata all under contract through at least 2018. They have Greg, Gregory Polanco approaching the majors. He was number two on the baseball prospectus's uh, top Pirates prospects list, um, has an ETA of 2014. Um, with him approaching the majors, does that make uh, Marte or uh, Tabata a possible trade trade piece in the future? They could be very valuable to a team looking for uh, for team control of a, of a solid outfielder. Yeah, the Pirates are really excited about this potential outfield with uh, you know, McCutcheon, obviously, MVP center field, Polanco, Marte. You have three center field caliber defenders patrolling the outfield. It should be one of the most athletic in the game. And an outfield that can impact games offensively and defensively. I think Marte's in the long-term plans, at least until uh, Austin Meadows or, or another player emerges. Uh, gets closer, but Tabata could be a trade chip uh, once Polanco is ready, which he could be a, a June addition. He, he won't break camp with the team, uh, but he he could be called up and could be another second half impact guy. And uh, I don't know if that pushes Tabata to the bench or uh, if he's just a candidate to get traded. But yeah, I would not be surprised to see the second half outfield being Marte, McCutcheon, Polanco, and uh, that outfield. Uh, been there for the next three to four years. One of the things that made Marte a pretty valuable player last year was that, that he got hit by so many pitches. Uh, there was some talk of the Pirates coaches trying to protect him and uh, prevent him from getting hit so much. Uh, is he really committed to that? Yeah, you know, that's one of the, they were, uh, they did discuss that with Marte this offseason, and that's one of those things where uh, it, it hiked up his on-base percentage, which is good, but uh, of course you, you don't want your players getting injured, yeah. especially uh, key contributors like that. So it'll be interesting to see if that's something they can really reduce or if you know, that's just part of this 
his approach at the plate and uh, his pass the ball, that's something that's always going to be an issue with, with Marte. So that'll be something to keep an eye on early in the season. You know, Ideally, they would like to see Marte uh, improve his approach at the plate, become a little more uh, selective, a little more patient, and you know, become a little bit more of that traditional leadoff uh, profile because he'll be back in that top spot this year in the, the order, but that's more of a traditional kind of he's a speed guy, so we're going to battle for his actual uh, you know, walk percentage, the strikeout percentage, those kind of numbers. So they'd like him to, to become a complete leadoff hitter, become a complete top of the guy, and it'll be interesting to see if he can take a step to become that this season. He did get caught stealing a fair amount. I think he got caught stealing more than any any other player in the majors. Is he working on picking his spots to steal, stealing a little bit less? Has he been uh, practicing that at all? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that is something that improves with experience. Because remember, this is you know last season was just his first full year in the major leagues, mm-hmm. and he has uh, you know this guy runs like an NFL wide receiver. He can fly. Uh, I, one of those things where can he improve his reads, jumps. The, the instinctual part of the base running, is that something you can pick up? Or is he going to remain uh, less efficient than the club would like to be in the base packs? But I, I suspect he'll fill the green light. They still want that speed to play, and he, uh, he can be a disruptive force on the, on the bases. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether he can you know, improve those beats and jumps with experience. Definitely. You can add a lot of value if you can figure out when to run uh, Russell Martin was a really great pickup for the Pirates last year after they poached him from the in, from the Yankees. Uh, managing, uh, He managed to get on base at a decent clip. He has always been an excellent def- defensive catcher. The Pirates signed him to a two-year $17 million, de- $17 million deal last year, so that will be re- expiring after this year. Uh, do they expect to see his price go up if he has another league average season with the bat? Uh, will the Pirates have a good chance to retain him or any desire to Pay him? Yeah, I think they would love to have him back. He was a he was an impact player who, uh, you know, I think it's difficult just to quantify all he meant for Pirates in 2013. But uh, you know, the Pirates thought he was undervalued last offseason in part, in large part, because of the, the pitch ranking studies which baseball perspectives yeah. have done and uh, some other analysts have done, and they, they saw that he was the best available on the market, and that skill was very undervalued last offseason, uh, and he helped pitchers throw strikes with that ability. And we all know about the throwing arm. We know about, uh, you know, his bat, which is league average for the position. And he's also he's also a really good clubhouse presence for, for relatively young teams. So uh, his value was, uh, you know, it was incredible last year for the Pirates, even above the, the war stat and everything else we could try to quantify about Martin. He was arguably, you know, the first half MVP of the team. And he's a free agent after the year. And pitch training value isn't going to be undervalued anymore. People know what Russell Martin can do. So if he has another season like 2013, I think it'll be tough for the Pirates to retain him. Uh, the good news is for the Pirates going before they do have some internal options in Tony Sanchez, and they love Bruce McGuire, who was a first-round pick last year as you know, one of the better defensive uh, prep catchers to come around in a long time. But you know, his VK isn't until 2017, so what if Sanchez... Uh, Martin or someone, they're going to have a gap. They, have a, they need a bridge to, to get to, to McGuire uh, down the road. Neil Walker and Pedro Alvarez have sort of established, have really established themselves at second and third base for the Pirates. Both guys have played there the last few years and are going to be eligible for free, free agency following the 2016 season. Is Pittsburgh working on an extension for either player? Is there either one of them that they prefer? 
Yeah, Alvarez and Walker emerge as core pieces, and, and players who might have a little more upside if Alvarez can uh, reduce the swing strikes and uh, increase his walk percentage and use the a little more. I think, you know, Walker actually made some improvements with his walk and K rates last year, and his line drive rate was excellent, but his, his average, I think he's a little unlucky last year, actually. So those are two guys who are core pieces who they believe have some upside remaining, and who, yeah, they would love to work out club friendly deals, but, uh, you know, Alvarez is a Boris client. He's a hundred million dollar player. I'm not sure the, the Pirates are going there, and they uh, they're not close from a, in a Walker extension, from what I understand. So, so you know, I suspect he's going to be you know they'll be here for the next three years as they make their way through arbitration. But uh, long term, they might be tough signs for the Pirates. At shortstop, they have both Clint Barnes and Jordy Mercer. Those guys each got about over 300 plate appearances last year. Should we expect to see that again? Do, e- do either of them have a chance to get more of a full-time role? Yeah, uh, it, last year, Barnes had a year as a starter. Mercer emerged uh, early on in the season as, as a uh, kind of super utility guy in the infield. And then Mercer began to get a line to playing time at shortstop. This year, Mercer enters the year as the the uh, starter shortstop and Barmas is the reserve middle infielder. Uh, and they, they want to see what Mercer can do in, a, in the full-time role. His bat was promising last year. His defense was acceptable. And he could be an interesting low-cost guy at shortstop going forward. So we'll get to the lion's share of playing time. Uh, manager Clint Hurdle is a big Clint Barmas fan. Barmas's defense is still really highly regarded. When you look at defensive metrics, so they'll share the shortstop duties and uh, the Pirates are just hoping for a similar overall performance uh, from the two uh, compared to what they got in, uh, in 2013. All right, well, it was great talking to you, Travis. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. All right, uh, enjoy spring training. Thank you. That was Travis Sawchick of the Tribune Review. You can read Travis at triblive.com or follow him on Twitter at sawchick underscore trib. Tomorrow I'll be talking about the Rockies with Troy Rank of the Denver Post. We are the Pirates, so don't do anything. We just stay at home and lie around. And if you ask us to do anything, we'll just tell you. We don't do anything.